Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're going to be taking a look at HBO's new surrealist comedy, An American Pickle, starring Seth Rogen. We're also going to take a look at a 2019 film that's on Amazon Prime now called Vivarium, starring Jesse Eisenberg and Imogen Poots. It's like a sci-fi thriller, uh, and it's a little offbeat, but we need something to watch because this is a movie review show, and, and we've been off a couple weeks. Andy, what have you been doing? You traveled, I traveled. What's What's been going on? That's right. Yeah, I spent a couple of weeks out in uh, Arizona. I drove, wasn't going to step on a plane, not in this life, Uh, visited some friends, got to hit the road and see uh, some great Southwest American landscapes out that way. Nice. Uh, We drove to Michigan to visit family up there to see some wonderful Midwest vistas and then also spend a little time at the lake over at Possum Kingdom here in Texas. It's been good, but now we are back to talk about movies. And the first thing we need to talk about is the news, of course. Our first story this week, Disney. No, wait, that's not it. (laughs) Bill and Ted. Bill and Ted 3. (laughs) uh, Release date moved up a week. Uh, and a behind-the-scenes featurette has been released. Why, why, why does this matter? Why do people care about Bill and Ted 3, Andy? So Bill and Ted 3 is going to be the harbinger of cinema here. It is going to be the first film that's going to be released simultaneously, both online, premium video on demand, and also in theaters. You can actually see a new film in, in theaters. And the reason it's being moved up a week is because, of course, uh, Big Disney is going to release Mulan on September 4th, which was the original day. And so Bill and Ted 3 has been moved up a week to August 28th. Yes. Uh, obviously, Bill and Ted... <laughs> do not want to go up against Disney, the mighty house of mouse. And also Christopher Nolan's tenant, which is supposed to be coming out September 4th. Now as well, Mulan and tenant coming out same times. Uh, and Bill and Ted don't want to be in the middle of that. So they are opting to go a week ahead of the competition, which is weird. Cause like you said, they are now going to be the harbinger of going back to the theater. This is supposed to be like one of the things that gets people going. Is anybody going to be, I mean, how many, how many heads are we predicting this is going to turn exactly? Who's who's going to be going to see Bill and Ted 3? I mean, I know a couple of dying hard uh, Bill and Ted fans, Keanu Reeves fans, uh, shout out to Andra, um, <laughs> that will go, uh, well, will be paying to see it um, at least. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how huge it's going to be. And again, it, it's weird because it, it's a threequel to a really old property, but that's something that's a classic. I don't know if it'll get people in seats, but it may get people to rent it. Yeah, that's, that's valid. Um, I, I think it's not a bad way to start, right? Goofy, offbeat comedy, something that's a little nostalgic, people kind of like. Maybe a good way to say, hey, come back to the theater. It's not so serious. It's not such a big deal. Because come September 4th with Tenet and Mulan, it's all serious. Like, it's all, like, swinging for the fences summer blockbuster stuff. This is a bit more lighthearted. Might be might be a good way to get people uh, at least mildly interested in the idea. And let people know theaters are open. I had my hair cut a couple weeks ago, and, like, I was telling my barber I'd gone to a movie theater recently. She was like, where? I was like, you'd actually be surprised. Like, a lot of them <laughs> are open. You can go to them. So, mm-hmm. um I don't know. It, it is what I, it is, I guess. Are you interested in seeing this at all? Do you have any affinity for Bill and Ted? Is that something you do? You know, I I, I saw them when I was younger. I cannot remember them for the life of me, and I'm not going to rewatch them <laughs> between now and then. But uh, but I, I would like to see it, mostly just because it's new content and because it's it's always fun to see actors go back into classic roles or, you know, roles that they kind of made them famous um, and see where it goes. And it, it would be nice to get back in the, in the theater. But at the same time, I might be more comfortable renting it at home. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I honestly, I watched them both 
not that long ago. Um, they're still they're still good as far as films go, but like most comedies, like they've aged really poorly. There's definitely some punchlines in there that fall super flat in 2020 that are not funny at all. That in the 80s were like funny and edgy and cool, uh, mostly pointed insults. Uh, based on people's gender or skin color. In other news, Mulan is heading <laughs> to Disney Plus on September 4th for 30 big ones. $30 you can rent this movie at home. Andy, what the hell is Disney thinking? <laughs> well, uh, the streaming wars, as we said, are here. And uh, it's more like the rental wars are, are kind of what's happening now. So Mulan is going to release in theaters and simultaneously on Disney Plus. But... It's not enough to have the subscription. You're going to have to pay an additional $30 uh, to see it, which is pretty steep. But it's important to mention this is not to rent it. This is essentially early access because you will be able to rent uh, to watch it as many times as you want. It's not a one-time rental. As soon as you plop down the, those 30 bones, you'll be able to, to watch it as many times as you want. Um, so it's an interesting strategy. Um, and we'll kind of see what Disney does and what the people do. Yeah, so the first time I heard about this was when you sent it in our little group chat we got, and and you were the first to point out like it's it's thirty dollars and it's on top of the current subscription fee, so you already have to be paying six ninety nine a month for Disney Plus, and then thirty bones on top of that to watch Mulan. Uh, that's a tall that's a tall order, man. In in, in times order. of crisis, um, I can't I I don't I don't know who's going to pay that. Typically. The, the video on demand rental price for new stuff has been 20 bucks, right? 20 bones. You can run it anywhere. You can, you can run on Amazon. You don't have to have Amazon Prime. You can run Vudu, other video on demand services. This one says not only do you already have to have Disney Plus or sign up for a new subscription, then you got to pay extra. But the advantage is you get to keep it, right? That's what Disney CEO Bob Chapek said in a statement shortly after this came out. You will get to keep this. You can watch as many times as you want. And then you also pointed out that's super neat, but, like, isn't the point of Disney Plus to be able to see stuff forever anyway? Like, wouldn't Mulan be coming to their platform at some point in the future? Why would you buy it if you have Disney Plus, right? Right. There's a number of things going on here. So, so you're absolutely right that... You know, that's the whole point of, of subscribing to Disney Plus is to have access to the Disney library. So I think, yes, eventually this will go on Disney Plus. And if you paid 30 bones, uh, you're either a sucker or, like I said, you paid for for early access. Um, the other thing is this price. Why is it thir- 30 bucks um, when the $20 has kind of been established as the PVOD price? And I think that's just part of Disney fre- flexing their brand. Like, you know, we are Disney. We produce premium content. This is a $200 million movie. You want to see it, you're going to pay for it. And the other thing is that this is, this is, Disney is geared towards families, family friendly content. So this is for the family of three or four plus. You know, it's, it's not, it's, it's a steep price for the individual family of four. It's a steal. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, it seems to be encouraging people to go to the theater, right? Like, cause this isn't any kind of real bargain over buying tickets at home. I mean, if tickets are eight bucks a piece, yeah, I guess for a family of four, it's probably cheaper to rent this at home, but like not, not much cheaper. Um, it's, and, and, and for what? Like, so you don't have to risk getting coronavirus. Like, obviously you shouldn't want that, of course, and you shouldn't want to risk getting it, but like, it just seems like they want people to go back to the movies. And and for Disney, that makes sense. Disney makes a ton of money at the movies, and they have a lot of movies slated to make money at the movies. Um, they do Marvel films. They do Star Wars films. Di- Avatar is going to be coming out at some point in like two years now because I think it got delayed again, of course. Um, Disney wants people in movie theaters. They don't want people sitting at home. 
which is why I think they can do exactly what you said, kind of flex on a big price here and say, hey, uh, you can watch at home, but it's going to cost you a bunch. Um, I don't know. I think, I think they want people eating popcorn. That's what the, other, the other thing to remember is that... Uh, it, oh, man, I totally blame <laughs> Like The other thing to Happens remember, to the best of us. Yeah, it, it, it took too long of a hiatus in the middle of, <laughs> in the middle of um, all this stuff. No, so, so you're renting uh, for... Th- for $30, man, it was a really good one, too. <laughs> We're we'll going to have to move on. We'll come back. Our next story is Disney. You got you got some runway. It. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Uh, our, last, our last story. Uh, Disney is reportedly abandoning physical 4K releases for their live action catalog. Um, for anybody who doesn't speak movies, Andy, what does this mean exactly? Because I think this headline has just kind of flown by a lot of people. This means for all of, of Disney's kind of back catalog of films, including something like Mulan, uh, they're not going to be making Blu-rays or 4K discs for you to purchase in the future. This was actually something that someone pointed out to me because I said, oh, the, surely Mulan will be on r- normal Disney Plus, standard Disney Plus in like a month or two. Um, and someone said, well, what about all the physical media that they make money? You know, they may wait a little bit longer, but this shows that they're essentially not going to have a Blu-ray of it. You To watch it, you're going to have to have Disney+. Plus, and this is um, going to be the same thing moving forward. So basically any new film they make, past I think Home Alone and, and another one uh, remake, there's not going to be any more Blu-rays. So you're gonna, the only way to see it is going to be in the, the Disney vault of Disney+. of Disney Plus. This is really interesting because um, Disney has a really really interesting history with physical media, right? I think we're all kind of familiar with the Disney vault. Um, This idea that like, if you want a Disney film, you have to buy it in the allotted time that it is available within like a five year span. You can't just go out and buy Cinderella on 4k Blu-ray. You have to wait until Disney says, Hey, uh, you can buy it for this month only out of this random year. And that's how they stagger all of their old nostalgic releases. They, create an artificial supply and demand um, because they artificially stimmy the supply. So you can't get it unless it's at this specific time in this specific format. Now they're saying, hey, you know what? We're just not going to release anything anymore, which is weird because I don't know Disney to do that. On top of Disney having a strange physical media release with their Disney vault, they've also been really weird about how films have been available for rental and how they've been available to like screen on television or to rerun in old theaters. In short, Disney is very protective of their of their old stuff. Um, in fact, back in the day when renting movies really started to become a thing, way back in the day in like the 70s and 80s, um, Disney only said they only released like seven, six or seven of their like original animated classics to rent. And they were like, I'm pretty sure it was like 40 bucks a film to rent oh, for geez. rental. Yeah, which was insane. And the whole deal was kind of similar to this or Mulan. They were like, hey, if you want it, we know you'll pay it because we're Disney and nobody does what we do. Like they, they've got some really weird ideas for how physical media works. So I'm interested by this because I, not only is it strange for a very large company to say, Hey, we're pretty much done doing the physical media thing. And to, to kind of crack that open for other studios to say, Hey, we're only going to do streaming. We're only going to do digital. seems like the future that makes sense to me. But I also wonder, like, it, how genuine this is. Because at some point, wouldn't Disney say, hey, you know what? Since you can't get physical media of our stuff anymore, wouldn't you really value a limited run collection of our original classics on Blu-ray for $300 in a pack, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, they could yeah, totally this... do that and just say, hey, well, now this is only available. I don't know. I don't know. 
No, they could definitely like revamp the Disney Vault idea in in a more modern way. I th- I think this is part of a larger trend uh, of just IP in general, and we we see this happening, and it's already happened in music, and we see it happening in th- the video game realm now too, where um, basically the content creators like Disney just want to license all their stuff to you, the consumer, but they never want you to be able to actually own a physical copy of anything because then, then they control the medium better. Right. And, and this seems to be a part of that. And I get that. Like, and that's, that's again, that's different thinking for Disney because they have not felt that way in the past. This idea of Disney plus and being able to see all their films on one platform is not, is nuts for them. That's wacko man. Like that. I can't, I can't believe they actually plunged into it and are doing it. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is it's not that weird to see them making weird announcements, if you know what I mean. Strange is the new normal with these guys. Mm. Um, that's just kind of how Disney's always been. I did remember my point from earlier. <laughs> Please. Yeah. No, hold on. I'll, I'll go back to the article. What was your point earlier? <laughs> what was it so there's a couple of things so first off one thing that people have wanted are day and date releases and so this is an experiment of that it's a brand new content it's going to have a premium price um and also this is not going to be a trend uh, disney is hoping to only do this for mulan because mulan's kind of in uh, a strange place where it was, it was supposed to be released right as the pandemic hit and so it got shelved and so it's kind of they, they got to release it they got to make money this is kind of the only way to, to do it and, and release this uh, with this film. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you're right. There's definitely an immediacy to put this thing out. Um, Mulan's been a funny one to talk about releasing for a while now, uh, if only because of the pandemic, right? Like naturally there's, there's a chunk of the population um, that, that that is aware that, that things originated in China and, and feel like that could have a negative connotation on a film that's very based in Chinese culture. Um, I don't feel that way, uh, but some people do. So Disney obviously has to look at what they're doing and say, okay, hold on. <laughs> How bad do people want to see this now, if at all? And I think people still do. Like, it's still Mulan. It's still something people love. It's still a beloved property, and there's a lot of heart at it in it. Um, but it's also a live-action remake, right? It's going to be missing certain things from the original. Uh, it's not going to be the same. So... I wonder if they're a little bit more anxious to just get this one out and off the plate, right? And just yeah, say, okay, let- it's out. We're done with it. We're moving on past it. Because, man, they've been they've been stuck on Mulan for months now trying to get past yeah, it. I mean, they probably, you know, this was going to be a billion-dollar property. And now it's probably not going to hit those kinds of numbers. So they just got to do the best that they can. They can't hold on to it forever. Then, you know, then you've wasted money on all the marketing you've done. Sure. So... Yeah, it's not. It's nothing like New Mutants or anything. <laughs> <laughs> one day, one of these days. Why is that movie not on Disney Plus yet? My God, that should have come out on Disney Plus the day the platform launched, and they should have been done with it. Um, I don't know what mm-hmm. they're doing with that movie, but whatever. Uh, speaking of odd films, we need to talk about our first uh, film of the episode. Really, kind of the the premiere because our other ones from 2019. So this is the most recent film uh, of release that we can talk about. Andy's graciously agreed to take the summer on this one. Andy, please take it away. An American Pickle. Is this her father? No, that's David Bowie. Is this her mother? No, that's also David Bowie. That whole poster is David Bowie. 
So this is the new comedy from HBO Max and Seth Rogen. Um, Seth Rogen plays Herschel Greenbaum, who's a... It, it, the story begins in like 1900 in a made-up country over in Europe. Uh, and he plays Herschel, who comes to the U.S. seeking a better life, wanting to raise a family and you know start a business and prosper and all those uh, good kind of immigrant stories uh, that we have. He gets work at a pickle factory slaughtering rats which is kind of gross and then he he stumbles into a pickle vat and is pickled kept alive for a hundred years and then co- comes to life in modern day uh america in brooklyn um and meets his his great grandson ben greenbaum also played by seth rogan and they kind of kick off the, this comedy of a family, of, of tradition, uh, of capitalism. And, and that's kind of our setup. Uh, there's a lot of things that, that work in this film. There's some things that, that don't. Um, this is based on a, I believe it's a short story in The, the New Yorker uh, by Simon Rich, who also did the screenplay for this movie. So that's our movie. Zach, what'd you think? Um, the American Pickle... An American Pickle is a funny flick. Um, it feels a lot like a film that's adapted from a short story. It's 88 minutes. It's fast. Um, it moves very quickly. It does not spend a lot of time on like technical plot developments or like really complicated ideas. It kind of just blasts right through things. And it uses Seth Rogen as a comedy actor to kind of get that point across and move through the medium quickly. We have a guy who is brined and pickled for a hundred years and wakes up in 2019 and it's totally cool and moved right past it. I think they spend like three minutes in a room with some scientists who just shrug their shoulders like, yeah, it worked. Yeah, yeah, and then, totally yeah, worked. Yeah, and we're right, right, right on, on, on through our plot. So it's shot really well. It's actually acted really well. Seth Rogen, I think, does a great job in it. Um, ultimately... It's just kind of a. Sh- it feels like a short film based on a short story, so it doesn't do anything particularly outstanding to me. But there's stuff in here that works, and I think we should talk about it. That's what I think. So yeah, mm-hmm. where, where do you want to kick this thing off? Uh, let's start with with our plot. So first off, I want to say that this is uh, the plot to Futurama, <laughs> basically. Now, um, now, yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty much exactly the, the setup is, but but yes. it is uh, like I said, so. Uh, Herschel is, like I said, he he's from a fictitious uh, country in Eastern Europe. He's Jewish. He's very proud of his Jewish heritage. It's very important to him. Um, and he has big dreams of starting a family, of you know being able to provide and prospering. Um, and when when he comes to and, and he meets his great grandson, he, he's disappointed because that, that all that hasn't really come to pass. Like he expected, you know, in a hundred years we'll have a big family and we'll have a big business and we'll, you know, we'll be more than we were. And and you know, we meet Ben, who's not necessarily a loser. He's a you know he's a freelance app developer. He's, you know, it's a very in demand job. But he he doesn't have a lot going on. He doesn't have a girlfriend or a wife. He does hasn't started a family. Hasn't started a business. He kind of has this app that that might have some potential, but hasn't really done anything with it. And he's also really kind of shrugged off his his Jewish heritage. He doesn't he doesn't go to temple. He doesn't kind of observe any any part of that. So we, we have kind of a big disparity between these generations yeah and there's not a whole lot of time spent on like really developing ben as a character as as the modern uh seth rogan in this film uh he's just kind of this goofy uh you know button-up shirt wearing (laughs) 
like indie indie hipster character who yeah has has no family has no friends has no relationships has no really religion that he pays attention to he doesn't even have a job he doesn't even have co-workers he doesn't even have a boss like you could not have a flatter character to interact with somebody um if you tried like he is he is so one note in this whereas herschel greenbaum who is our brined american pickle uh is much more interesting he has drive and spirit he has culture he has history he has religion he has relationships that aren't around anymore but he's forging new ones he has knowledge of how to pickle things um and he's an entrepreneur at heart. So he is everything that our foil is not. Um, and it's really where the focus of the film is on him uh, that makes the most sense. We follow him through the whole thing. We barely ever touch on Ben Greenbaum. It's all about Herschel, um, which is smart. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's much more interesting of a character. But our character Ben is definitely definitely sidelined for that. But that gives Seth Rogen the opportunity to really um, flex his acting chops in Herschel Greenbaum. Right, and I did also want to point out. So apparently, they had to film around the beard. They basically they filmed all of Herschel's parts first because that's actually Seth Rogen's real beard, and then he shaved and then did uh, the other parts. So the, the the beard was was a big part of of how they decided to uh, to shoot this thing. Uh, but but you're right, Herschel is our more interesting character, and he, like I said, he's very disappointed in what Ben has turned out uh to be but like i said in the end the story is kind of about the importance of a family of, of tradition of remembering where you came from as you move into the future yeah and you get this this funny kind of duality well duality i should say the thing that stands in the way of these characters herschel and ben coming together in the future and saying hey we're family let's work together is idealism which is funny because this movie is kind of placed poignantly against the American dream and this idea that if you work hard, you can get what you want here. Um, Herschel still believes that, right? He came over to America in 1919 uh, and everybody was <laughs> uh, comically racist, I should say, uh, when he gets into town. Um, but I, I, I guess it works for the sake of the film. Um, but he's he's a hard worker and he starts smashing rats at the pickle factory and he's doing his thing anyway. It's fine. He'll figure it out. Whereas in the future, um, you know... Let me just say, Herschel has nothing, but he's 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 got ideals. He's working towards something bigger, right? He can become something bigger if he really believes it. Whereas in the future, in 2019, we have a character like Ben Greenbaum who has this great apartment downtown that he totally can't afford and does not fit the bill for reality at all. But he's got IKEA furniture and he's got he's got an Amazon Alexa and and you know he's he's living life he's doing his thing but he doesn't have any friends and he doesn't have any family and he really has no aspirations and he doesn't have any of the things that herschel has um it does a funny job of kind of positioning america against itself in that way um mm -hmm. now it is it is a bit idealist to say that a man could you know be brined for 100 years and then start up a pickle <laughs> business in manhattan in 2020 and it would work um but you know it, it's a comedy it, it, it takes some licenses there, and I don't I don't mind it for that. Because, again, it does not, just like the scientists at the beginning, it does not waste a lot of time questioning these motives. It doesn't spend a lot of time saying, hey, how does this work? How, how would that he be successful doing that? It just kind of it just kind of flies through it. They do that through the use of um, hipsters and, <laughs> and, and, and weird millennials who will buy anything at any price because they think it's cool for social media, I guess. That's how Herschel really succeeds in his business. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
it's very interesting that like you said that are the dichotomy of of our two characters but also you know herschel isn't like you said he's not perfect he he definitely has 19 19th century ideals kind of coming Mm -hmm. in and he gets in trouble for some of uh the things he he says and he has to learn what it means to be in in the future In, in the end like i did not like how this movie starts but i really like how it ends like i like what it ends up being about um, I don't think it really, I don't think it was actually very funny. Like it doesn't succeed as a comedy. No, It succeeds much better as just a drama. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's weird putting, putting, uh, this is a comedy, but I mean, it's fundamentally what it's supposed to be, but it's, I, I wouldn't even say it's something like a black comedy because like, I don't need, I didn't really get a chuckle. There were a couple scenes where I laughed. It doesn't pass any kind of comedy test where normally you'd laugh a few times when you're watching a film. Um, but it, it moves it moves efficiently enough that you don't really mind it. Uh, the the flashback at the beginning, Herschel's origins, essentially, I clocked it. It's just over nine minutes, and then you're in 2019. It's very quick. <laughs> like they do not waste a lot of time moving through things, and that's okay. What what does work efficiently in this film, I think, is cinematography, which I want to talk about. Uh, the look of this movie is really outstanding. Uh, it looks really unique. Uh, we're running the trailer right now on Facebook if you're watching the video version of this. Uh, and and the colors really are outstanding. It's got great textures, the camera angles, and the, and, and the work's real good. They'll get real close up on somebody and then pulled real far back. Um, and the reason that is is because this movie is shot by a man named Brandon Trost, who is also the director of this film. Brandon uh, is a cinematographer on a number of comedies going back. I, I pulled him up on IMDb here. He's got... Uh, what, what did he do? He did... Yeah, uh, he did. Okay, I, I'm blowing it. I had a whole list pulled up, but I lost it. He did. He did Pop Star, Never Stop, Never Stopping. He did The Night Before. He did Neighbors and Neighbors Two. He did The Disaster Artist. Um, that extremely wicked, shockingly evil and vile. He shot, and this is his first like directorial debut. So this is him really trying to say, "Hey, I'm." trying to stand out and do something different but ultimately i think what works in this this movie is the way it's shot because it looks fantastic it's a very good looking movie i i yes and no (laughs) so when they're in new york that stuff looks great when a a lot of the cgi shots are what kind of look bad to me there's a lot of cgi yeah yeah when, when they're in cgi eastern europe and you know cgi coming in on the boat and you see the statue of liberty that stuff doesn't look great and it kind of stands out to me but when they're not filming when when you don't have special effects shots um yeah then it looks fine but it's worth mentioning this is a movie where you see two two of the same actor on screen at once um obviously that stuff you got to make work with cgi that stuff works great like it, it definitely looks like seth rogan's talking to himself like you never you never fall into this illusion or, you know, they never break the illusion that, like, it's not actually happening. Uh, does a good job that way. So, well done, Brandon, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I was listening to an interview with, with Seth Rogen, and he was saying, you know, sometimes sometimes they use an, another actor for him to act against. Sometimes it's just, like, an X. Sometimes it's a tennis ball. You know, so it, it's there's, like, a whole, you know, slew of things that they use when, you know, for the other role that he's supposed to be acting against. Um, and it's never the same thing, because you would think they would, would always use an actor, but sometimes, you know, the tennis ball is better sure yeah what they're doing put somebody in post um and seth rogan i I said at the top does a great job i think in in this role um specifically as herschel greenbaum um that's where he's got the most ability he's got to do this super thick accent and have this goofy beard and be this kind of shrewd guy and it kind of works um the first nine minutes is mostly voiceover where he's explaining like his history in the old country and stuff before he gets pickled um and the voiceover is like really rich 
and sounds really good. Like Seth Rogen actually really worked on this accent. It kind of comes across, I think, good. Um, his modern character, however, Ben, who is basically just Seth Rogen in 2020, um, is again totally one note. Like you, you just he's uh, the guy is designed to be a wallflower by by design. That is what his character is. So you really don't get a whole lot out of him. It's just kind of Seth Rogen being himself, I guess, as a freelance app developer. But otherwise, like for playing two characters in one 88 minute film, pretty good. Not not big laughs, but you know, I think he, I think he delivered the script well enough. Yeah, that's how I ended up feeling about it. Like again, I liked how it ended, and I liked what it was about more than the the jokes that were written. Right, and and ultimately, what is this movie saying exactly? Because it's it's this big statement on America in 2020, and how like anybody with the goofy idea can succeed if they really try, I guess. But even then, Herschel's not. I don't want to say he's not successful, but he finds success in a different way, right? Like in an offbeat way. Of course he does. He's an American pickle, for God's sake. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I didn't really understand what exactly it was trying to say. Yeah, like I said, I, I think it was more about, you know, your tradition and family and remembering where where you come from. Like I said, uh, over the course of the film, Ben dis, you know begins to appreciate his Jewish heritage a lot more, learn more about his family. And that's part, part of the good thing of, of Herschel being there. He can learn about the old country and his his great grandmother who he didn't know the, uh, these these kinds of things so i think it's more about that and less about like the you know capitalist endeavors they kind of engage in mm-hmm. well with that being said uh, any other thoughts before we move on past this one i'm ready for recommendations andy would you recommend <laughs> an american pickle uh i'm gonna say soft yes <laughs> <laughs> Your yes with, with caveat. So, Soft yes, I love it. So it, as a comedy, I don't think it works. It, it's not very funny. There aren't good jokes in here. So uh, it doesn't work as a comedy. However, it is a sweet mo- movie. And there, the relationship between Herschel and Ben is, is really charming. And like I said, it, it's a lot about tradition and family and all the, those things. And and I'm sure there's a there's a much be- better movie that does that kind of explores those same themes. But this was fine if you're already subscribed to HBO Max. It's on there, and it's a short ninety minutes. And, I, and like I've said before, I can stomach a mediocre movie that's short. Or like if this was two hours, I'd probably be strong no. But because it's short and sweet, yeah, it's okay. Uh, I'm gonna go soft no. Other other side <laughs> of that fence. Okay. Um, and I'll tell you why. Like. It's it's good, um, but it feels like one of those movies. It's like a it, it's like a you got heart kid movie. It's not bad. I I would like to see what Mr. Brandon Trost Trost does next, um, because I think this is a great segue into him doing like a big theatrical picture. Because again, it's shot fantastic. He does a fine job as far as the directing is concerned. But like, man, it's on HBO Max, which means if you're watching this, you have a subscription to HBO Max, and there is so much good stuff to watch on that platform. Um, Lately in in this pandemic, obviously this is a film podcast. We don't talk about television here, but like, dude, there's some rock solid TV shows on HBO Max. You could you could spend ninety minutes watching something much more engrossing than an American Pickle. So it's fine. It's not bad, but like, it just doesn't do anything that puts it above the surface of the water for me. You know, there's nothing in here that that I think, oh man, you got to see this flick. It's 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 good. It's it's thunderingly average um but it's not great and and if you're looking for a way to spend 90 minutes on hbo uh, you could do better i think so that's what i, I think agreed. Agreed. yeah um <laughs> with that being said uh at some point we should talk about doing like a dude we need to do like a special on like hbo tv shows i just finished watching Watchmen the other day oh my god 
Um, we should move on to our next segment. Uh, we're going to be talking about. Uh, well, Andy, you want to you want to announce this one? It's time for the trailer part. Uh, our first trailer. I guess I'll, I'll, I'll just kick it off, uh, is a movie called I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Jake, my boyfriend. It's snowing. Winter is coming in. We have a real connection. A rare and intense attachment. I've never experienced anything like it. I'm thinking of ending things. Huh? What? Did you say something? I don't think so. Weird. So I'm thinking of ending things is the new film by Charlie Kaufman. If you don't know who Charlie Kaufman is, uh, he is a screenwriter who's a little bit infamous in, in, in the world of a film because he writes some really, really kooky stuff. He's the screenwriter behind films like being John Malkovich or Nicholas Cage's adaptation or Schenectady, New York starring Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, he also did Anomalisa uh, starring uh, I don't remember who's in it, but uh, it's a stop motion film. He, mm-hmm. His films are always very, very surreal. Like surrealist is like in, in an extreme end, but they're always very pleasant. And at the, at the core of them, there's always something very human. Um, but he's a very odd writer. And if you've ever seen any of these films, you'll know what I'm talking about. Also, as featured in this trailer, uh, Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind was from him. Um, so if you've ever seen any of those films, you have an idea of where I'm coming from. Uh, it, this this movie, I'm thinking of ending things, is a new Netflix comedy. Uh, it's about a couple. It's based on a sh- based on a novel, I think, uh, or some kind of short story about um, a young couple who go to visit the uh, boyfriend's parents for the holiday, and some things just kind of start to be odd. Um, some things don't don't really work out uh, with them, <laughs> uh, and and it seems like things only get weirder. Uh, it's hard to describe how exactly um, some some lines are maybe delivered incorrectly in the trailer. Maybe it's exactly how they're supposed to be, or or there's some kind of continuity error you might see. It's strange, um, but that's exactly what Charlie Kaufman does. As far as I know, this is his first like feature directorial debut. I think he's directed some short films, but other than that, this is his next picture. Um, I'm I'm anxious to hear what Andy thinks. Andy, what do you think about this movie? <laughs> uh, I'm really stoked for this. Uh, I love surrealist cinema. Um, we're going to talk about a little bit about that when we talk about uh, Vivarium. But I've been a big fan of Charlie Kaufman's other work. Um, you know, Synecdoche, New York. I'm, I still don't know what that movie's about. <laughs> Dude, um, I... Yeah. Um, so he's known for, for really pushing the limits of cinema and of the of like what the audience can handle you know especially things with like being john malkovich so you know the kind of topical story is this girl and her boyfriend going to visit his parents but it doesn't seem quite right um you start to see a little bit of surrealism in the uh in the trailer with them starting to see them in different points in their in their life uh tony collette's in there being great uh tony collette um (laughs) We just if uh, like the you it's hard to tell from the trailer exactly what we're going to get but you know if it's Charlie Kaufman it's going to be one of the most bizarre things you've ever seen but also usually one of the most moving and profound things you've ever seen. Yeah, um Kaufman has this like incredible talent um for churning out like 
these stories that seem so wholly original. Um, you know, these films we just talked about, I've, I've never seen anything like them, which is why if you know who Charlie Kaufman is, typically you have at least some kind of passing respect for him because you're aware enough to know, understand how his work stands out from other people's work. They are, they are really interesting scripts and really diverse stuff. Um, so I'm anxious to see this. Yeah, the movie stars, I should have had the cast list up at the top. The movie stars Jesse Buckley uh, as the girlfriend. You most recently saw her in season four of Fargo. We also have Jesse Plemons as Jake, her boyfriend. And then her and Jesse's parents are Tony Collette and David Thewlis. And Tony Collette, like you said, man, blends right in. She's great, <laughs> man. I didn't I didn't know until, I guess, Hereditary, like really anything about Tony Collette. And watching her in this, there's scenes in this trailer where she doesn't even look like herself. It's crazy. Like that woman, that woman yeah. can blend into anything. She's 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 got Nicolas Cage energy. Is what she's got. I love <laughs> she, it. She, she, uh, yeah. I, you know where I remember her first from always is uh, the Sixth Sense. Is she in the Sixth Sense? Yeah, she she's uh, Cole's mother. Really? Oh man, <laughs> that's gonna be a trip sometime when I go back and watch that. Like, oh my god, Tony Collette was in this, and nobody nobody recognized her genius. Yeah. Um, and also Jesse Plemons being, you know. Weird Jesse Plemons. Jesse Speaking of Jesse Plemons, Plemons uh, he's in our next trailer too, right? Yeah, yes, that's true. Uh, and I'll talk about that one. Um, Judas and the Black Messiah. Deputy Chairman Fred Hampton of the Illinois Black Panther Party. Um, so this is a, a new film. Uh, I can't remember if it's from... No, it's not Netflix, but... Uh, this film is about uh, Fred Hampton, who was a prominent Black Panther leader in the 60s, uh, who will be played by Daniel Kaluuya. And it's about his betrayal by FBI informant William O'Neill, played by Lakeith Stanfield. Um, so this actually ties into the 13th, the film that we saw, uh, the documentary by Ava DuVernay, um, where she mentioned that prominent Black leaders were c- kind of assassinated um, in the 60s. And this is one of the one of those stories and it it appears to be mostly about this betrayal of this um the FBI gets the goods on what one of the people within the organization and then that that person then has to kind of collect information on uh Fred Hampton this trailer looks incredible like it's it's just got so much tension and passion and i mean daniel kaluuya looks like you're gonna give him an uh, give him an oscar this uh next year uh this looks really great uh what do you think zach dude i think this trailer looks so cool um this movie looks great uh i I, i've been saying for a while especially on this podcast because this is the platform where we talk about movies dude people are sleeping on daniel kaluuya and lakeith stanfield like they don't know. Like there's there's people out there who don't know who these guys are, and they should because they are both incredible actors with incredible range. Um, and this this looks like the, just the kind of stuff that's perfect for them. They're so good at, at creating like characters that feel so cutting and deep, and having one of them be type, you know be what's supposed to be the Black Messiah, and the other one's supposed to be his Judas is fascinating. It's really cool, man. We also have Jesse Plemons uh, as the kind of FBI. Uh, I guess the person our informant is talking to, like he's Stanfield, um, and kind of, you know, casually threatening him with some kind of time on the side. Uh, just, just, just really cool stuff, man. It looks like it's shot great. It looks like it's high energy. And these two actors are so good, man. <laughs> They're so good. That's essentially what this is. It's, 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 it's a platform for these guys to do what they do best. And I'm really excited to see it. I'm excited to see Kaluuya's accent. Um, he, he's, he's British. He has a British yeah. accent. People don't know that. Yeah, like he's he's not even free, dude. Uh, and and Lakeith, I'm excited to see where he goes because he's awesome. Uh, yeah, dude, I'm 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 big on this trailer. I'm I'm anxious to see when we see it. You know, um, because it just says coming to theaters doesn't say when. You know, there's no 
speculated announcement date, but it, you know, it looks good for what it's going to be. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like I said, these are two, I mean, I would say up and coming, but they've already been up and coming. These are two powerhouse uh, actors and it's getting to the point where if they're in something, I'm going to see it because they're, they're both so good. And it's, uh, it's funny because they were both in get out uh, together a few years ago and to see their careers develop into what they are now is, is uh, really exciting too. Yeah, they they were both in Get Out. That was the first time I saw both of them. Uh, and then shortly after, we saw, um, not that shortly after, we saw Sorry to Bother You, which is Lakeith Stanfield's kind of big breakout role. He also does Atlanta, um, TV show. Uh, and Kalia did something recently that I saw that I liked a lot, but I don't recall what it was. Oh, he was in that, um, was it Widows? Widows, yeah. Dude, he was great in that movie. And like, he was he's kind of just a side bad guy, but like, dude, he the, the menace that guy brought to the role is, is outstanding. So very anxious to see this. I think it'll be really good. Hopefully these guys can finally get um, the awards they deserve because they're both really good. They're, they're very, very tremendous actors. I'm excited to see it. Uh, that being said, we should move on to the last film of the episode. I'm going to be taking the summer in this one, so excuse the clumsy, clumsy transition. Uh, the movie is Vivarium. Welcome to Yonder, a wonderful development. It has all you'd need and all you'd want. So, Vivarium is the story of Gemma and Tom, two young, I assume, American. Uh, no, I, th- I think I think they're I think they're in Britain. You think they're in Britain, really? Yeah, he's the only one that has an an, an American accent. I thought Martin had an American accent. I guess you're right. Um, well, it doesn't matter where they are because it's it's kind of a surrealist. Let, let me let me start this over. Vivarium is a surrealist thriller. Science fiction, I guess horror film, uh, if I'm going to put a name on it, uh, about two young millennials who are kind of backed into a situation they never agreed to be in and can't get out. Uh, Gemma and Tom, played by Imogen Poots, and Jesse Eisenberg play two uh, millennials who are dating, I guess, um, who are looking for a house. They're thinking it might be time to kind of settle down. So they end up going to Yonder, which is a a suburban uh, kind of condominium. Uh, sub- suburban area uh, with a bunch of houses that all look the same. They're taken there by Martin, a real estate agent who's very excited to put them in their home. They're taken to number nine, uh, their address. They go in, they look at the place, Martin disappears, and then they realize something's not quite right. All these houses look the same. They're all painted this off green. Something's not correct here. And as they hop in their car, the little Volkswagen Beetle, uh, to leave, they realize every left turn, every right turn, no matter where they go, they keep coming back to the same house in the same street and they can't get out. And they're the only ones here. And they are trapped. And the rest of the film is our two characters trying to figure out how to get away from this house and how to get out of this place uh, as things just get weirder and weirder around them. One day they wake up. Uh, and there is food all ready to go in a package for them. Uh, their their television doesn't work quite right. Suddenly a baby shows up that they have to start taking care of. Uh, things get weird in Vivarium. Uh, and it's essentially a, a character drama where these two young characters are faced with this horrifying idea of having to suffer consequences you didn't, you didn't agree to uh, in a situation you can't escape. It's really something else, man. And I'm excited to talk about it. Andy, what did you think of <laughs> Vivarium? Uh, so I had a hard time getting in, into this movie. The first half is really kind of slow for me. And I just a little, 
bit boring and maybe maybe that's part of the point a big part of the plot is uh you know after a few days stuck in yonder this box appears with a with a child and a small child um which they begin having to kind of raise uh the box says raise the child and and be released so they start raising this kid who's kind of a nightmare um just really creepy talks strange has a weird voice um screams a lot um Yeah. I don't really know what's going on in this film or what it's trying to say. It, it, like I said, they're stuck in kind of an endless loop. It reminds me a lot of like Groundhog Day, but in suburbia. And I, I think that's kind of what is pointed out about the, the, the mundane, the monotony uh, of suburban life. You know, they, they get up, they, they cook, they eat, they raise the kid. Um, he goes works out in, in the yard and they just can't escape it no matter w- what they do um, and they try a lot of different things to escape and meanwhile the kid is getting bigger you know he's growing up and just kind of getting creepier as well he speaks this weird language he, he watches this weird stuff on, on television that's like it's not really shows it's just like patterns on the TV um, so it, it's got an interesting setup but um, man I, I just could not really get into it I didn't I didn't really enjoy it. It's super surreal. It's hard to wrap your head around. And and like, I'm not real sure who I would recommend this to. Yeah. um, So let's, let's jump into it. So this movie is based on a short story written by two Irish authors named Lorcan Finnegan and Garrett Shanley. Uh, Lorcan also directed this film uh, and, and Garrett wrote the uh, screenplay. So this is definitely uh, a production of theirs. It's based on a, the film film is actually based on a short film based on their story, a movie called Foxes, uh, which I think you can watch on Vimeo. is available if you want to check that out. Foxes is free to check out. Um, but we watched this Vivarium on Amazon Prime if you've got it so you can see it. Um, the two of them wrote this as kind of kind of an analysis of, of parasitic relationships. Because um, I, I did some reading after this came out because I wanted to know. Uh, they had been watching videos about or a documentary about um, cuckoos. Cuckoos? which are a type of bird that will kind of at a young age swing into a a bird's nest of the nest of another different kind of bird, push the eggs out, fool the mom into thinking they are actually her babies um, and end up eating all her food and outgrowing her and the nest uh, and ended up end up being the ruin of that whole bird family. And then Mm. they'll have babies and they'll just put those babies right in somebody else's bird's nest and they move on. It's about parasites. Yeah, that, and, and the film, that explains the beginning. Yes, the yeah. Birds, and the film the, the film opens with actually footage of cuckoos, cuckoos, whatever. I'm not really sure how you say it. Um, doing exactly that. And then we get a transition into our two characters and what they're doing in their life before they happen onto yonder. That is fundamentally what's happening here. It's, it's the idea of two modern, aspiring, you know, people uh, uh, in a society who end up in a situation that they can't get out of and, and they're stuck. It's, it's almost like a hostage movie, um, but without anybody to negotiate and anybody to come save them, it's just the two of them and they're just trapped here and there are no neighbors. There are no, like there's no overlord who sends them messages or anything like aliens. They, yeah. Yeah. Right. They, it, it's never even really explained throughout the majority of the film. What's going on. Um, you just get kind of these odd messages, like you said, on, on the box where the baby arrives, says raise the child and you'll be released or, or Jesse Eisenberg, uh, uh, digging one day and finding that the soil doesn't look quite right. And that this, this seems plastic or fake. And maybe there's something under here, you know, like, them trying to figure out their situation and get out of it while also just cope with what's happening around them is is kind of the core of the film and it's weird because it's hard 
to explain. It's it's hard to say what's happening in this movie. You, you said it reminded you of Groundhog Day. It reminded me of something like The Shining. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously not as scary. Um, this is more has horror elements rather than being like a straight horror. Um, but it's it's odd and it's weird it's 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 delightfully strange to quote one of the uh quotes that's coming up here and and i'm, I'm glad we have the opportunity to talk about it. so i want to talk about the performances uh are kind of two leads imogen poots and uh, jesse eisenberg play Gemma and tom who have been dating for a little while but are not i mean i guess they're getting a house together so they're pretty serious but i don't think they're like married or anything right there's they're they're kind of they're kind of at odds each other at each other certainly within points of this film what did you think of the two of them I thought they were fine, but I feel like their characters are really a little underdeveloped. Like we don't really learn a lot about them, you know, personally, like their backstory or kind of what what kind of people they are. I mean, we do a little bit, but it's not really a lot. And I think that's part of why I had a hard time getting into this is that like they're just kind of stock characters and they're they're fine, but they're nothing really stands out or, you know, I couldn't tell you a lot of characteristics of, about each. Yeah, I, I could tell you a little bit about him um, because I think I was into this movie more than you were. But then again, I was on the outs with American Pickle, so it's the way it goes <laughs> on this show. Um, Gemma is a kindergarten teacher. She's kind of sweet, kind of loving. Uh, she's got a goofy haircut, but, you know, she, she gets by. Tom is a gardener, works in trees, something like that. That's where you catch him in the beginning of the movie, up in a tree, which I think alludes to this kind of cuckoo. Um, he's, the, he's the groundskeeper or something. Yes, yeah. Uh, he smokes cigarettes. He's he's a little stressed out sometimes, but otherwise, you know, he gets by. As the two of them kind of get into this situation and realize they can't get out and things are wrong, their patience starts to run thin and eventually it drives them away from each other. Um, Tom is determined to get out of here, whereas uh, Gemma is kind of like, hey, let's let's work through this together and work towards a solution together. And Tom at some point is like, I don't I don't want to work with anybody, man, I'm getting out of here. Like I'm, I'm figuring this out, and and it ends up driving Gemma towards their surrogate son. I guess we'll uh-huh. call him uh, <laughs> this baby that arrives in a box after what seems like a few days. Um, who is I, we never get a name for him, so I can't I can't say what his name is because he doesn't have one. Uh, but but they she ends up kind of spending more time with this son that they have to raise. Than Tom because Tom sees the son as like an it. It's like a thing. He's like, it's not mine. I have no responsibility for that. That's not my thing. And she's like, well, somebody has to raise this kid. Like, what are we gonna do? Just like let him starve? You know, we have to do something. Yeah. We can't just do nothing. Um, and that drives the two of them apart. Later in the film, they start to come back together when they realize, hey, a lot of time has passed and we need to figure something out. But ultimately, I think the reason they feel flat is because, one, this is based on a short story, and two, because I think this is supposed to have this idea of, like, this could happen to anybody kind of situation, which, for some of us, I think hits closer to home, right? If you're if you're kind of in this age bracket, if you're about, like, how these two people are in life, like, I think this kind of thing might be scary for you. I think it's certainly who the movie's aimed at, right? Millennials who are scared of commitment and mm-hmm. scared of change. Um, I think it's part of the reason it spooks me, but... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, did any of that? Did any of that come through for you? You think, or you just kind of like I said? Like I said, to me, it was about like uh, you know, yeah, uh, the the fear of commitment, the the fear of you know being a suburbanite, or the the monotony of of everyday 
everyday life of of raising kids of these kind of fears of of growing up um i totally didn't get the the, the whole parasitic relationship that that totally flew over my head yeah uh no pun intended <laughs> well I, I definitely had to like i said i had to do a little ad- additional reading to get through to that because i wanted to make sure i was prepared to talk about it here um so to be fair the movie does not exactly provide you with that. You gotta, you know, you gotta well, work th- through that. On I your think own. also, you know, there's sometimes like a movie can have symbolism and allegory and stuff like that. I feel that this movie is all allegory. Like it's all, like there's no subtlety. It's just like the symbols are right out in your in your face. Like it reminds me of Mother a little bit in that that way. Yeah, and and we should talk about the setting. Uh, I want to talk about Yonder a little bit. Yonder is mostly CGI, <laughs> which is a shame. Yeah, I think that's part of what 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 didn't help for me is it looked like they're in a cartoon half the time. Yes, I, I think they had some solid sets somewhere, um, but mostly I'm sure it was inside. I think any kind of sky or any out exterior stuff, it's all studio and set. I don't think they were actually outside for much of any of this. Um, and, and most of these like winding streets that don't go anywhere and all these houses that are exactly the same, like something out of the cat in the hat book, um, like, or Dr. Seuss book, I should say, uh, they're all CGI. There's, there's a great scene, uh, at the beginning when Tom takes a, a ladder out of the back of their car that he has, cause he's a groundskeeper, um, and puts up on the roof and climbs up top to see if he can just see like the end of the neighborhood and it just goes forever and all the clouds are the same. And like, dude is so green screen. Like it doesn't even look that good because it's low budget. I get it. Like they couldn't do that much with it, but it's just really limited in its ability to show this setting. But that being said, the house is explicitly barren. It is explicitly simple. It's not complicated. It's not unique. It's nothing. Think like the polar opposite of like the house, the man, the manor in, Ryan Johnson's Knives Out. It's the total opposite. There's no interesting wallpaper. There's nothing cool in it. There's no neat art. It is like the most basic starter home matchbox idea of what a suburban home would be. Um, so in that way, it's it's inherently bland. It's, an, it's inherently pointless. There's not a whole lot to it. And that's supposed to be part of the kind of surrealist horror that's running underneath it. Unfortunately, that also means... It's just flat as a setting. And <laughs> just like our characters are flat, our setting is super flat. And there's not a whole lot happening in it. Yeah, I mean, we, we were talking about, uh, you know, the brilliance of, of Charlie Kaufman early. This is like Charlie Kaufman light, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. It, it's, yeah, it's the, it's like the, it, to me, it feels like the film school attempt at Charlie Kaufman. Yeah, I agree. And in a lot of ways, this does feel like something like a student film. And I think it's because, yeah, the guys who wrote it and put it together and directed it, um, they're pretty new to this. Like, that's this is not a whole lot of what they do. I think mostly they do things like music videos. So for what it is, I think it's a decent first attempt. I think there's some interesting things that happen under the hood, um, especially in the performances of Martin, who is a real estate agent who takes them out there. He's, like, fascinating. Uh, he's played by a guy named Jonathan Aris, who you've probably seen in things like the BBC's Sherlock and a couple other British productions. Uh, he is Super incredibly creepy. creepy and weird, and is, he does, has this, like, horrifying plastic grin and, like, this kind of kooky smile, and you never really get where he's coming from. Um, and then the kid that comes along as they start to raise him kind of starts to turn into a little version of Martin and even has, like, his voice laid over him in some parts. Um because they do some weird things with the voice work. Uh, that kind of stuff uh, is really what jumps out at you and is odd. Because in, in a world where everything is completely boilerplate, flat, and normal, the things that are really strange 
um, are, are, you know, bold on the page. Um, our, our, our young boy watches like this television program at night. Um, it's just like a Rorschach test of like ink blots and weird stuff. And there's like noises and he like screams a lot and does this crazy stuff. And like all of that feels super weird. But the problem is the movie is so mired in like maintaining this level of normalcy that these characters are stuck in. But at some point it's just noise and it's just like the weird stuff is too weird. There's no explanation coming. Um, and it starts to weigh on it and it starts to get dull. I think. Well, and I think it, it really loses it. Like you said, uh, it really loses meaning. Like you, you had to go look up what, what it's about. And I, like I said, I, I kind of struggled and I feel like I haven't gotten what the author intended where it's like I said, some, even something as strange as synecdoche New York, you can pull out a lot of really kind of uh, profound things. So it's just, yeah, it, it's it's too weird. And then it's sometimes like not weird enough. Like to me, the first half is so boring <laughs> that I was like, I, I could have used a lot more of like the weirdness and surrealism that we see later in the film earlier on. Which is funny. I went the opposite way. I felt like the first half worked really well. And once they actually kind of end up stuck at the house till like the end of the film when you get to any kind of climax um all that stuff was just super dull for me like really hard not to like just be on my phone <laughs> not watching <laughs> and i realized we're not selling this great there are some developments right um um when when jesse eisenberg's character tom uh discovers hey something is wrong with the soil uh with, with uh, under the house there, there's something off about it uh, he discovers this because he's smoking his cigarette out on the front yard and he throws the cigarette onto the grass and all the grass moves away from where the cigarette burns. And it's like, hey, something's wrong here. And he goes and investigates and gets a shovel and he starts digging and the soil's weird. Um, that stuff's unique. Uh, at one point, they burn the house down early on because they just decide, you know what? I, we can't get out of here. Let's just burn the thing to the ground. And they wake up the next morning and it's back. So, like, little developments like that are interesting to kind of carry you through. Um, but ultimately, it is a film about the horrors of modernity and, and, and a mundane life. <laughs> of raising a, a kid? like I Yeah, yeah so, like, so I, like, ultimately, that's going to be kind of boring by default. So it's hard to keep it interesting um visually you do at the beginning get some stuff at the end you get some stuff but mo- mostly i mean it's, it's literally what the movie's about it's about it's about a, a dull life and how scary well it, and you mentioned that it uh you know it's about parasitic relationships but it, it fails to make to really make any kind of statements about them yeah like i see that now i see that it's about like you said it they're them raising this kid mirrors the the birds at the beginning uh but then it like i said what and and what and then and right. like, what what are they trying to say about these kinds of relationships? Yeah, I, I listened to a to an interview with with Lorcan Finnegan, the director, and he said what they were really trying to get at was what what is the scariest thing imaginable to like young up and coming like people in society? And to them, they said the scariest thing is is being trapped in a situation you can't get out of, and being saddled with responsibilities and burdens that you didn't agree to. And having to face the consequences of those that you don't want. And so ultimately, yeah, that, that, that's what this is supposed to be. It's supposed to be this film about these two, two young kids who are forced in a situation they don't want to be in and can't get out of. And also forced to carry out things they don't want to do. And not ever finding, well, <laughs> I should say for most of the film, not finding any answers. Not ever finding out how you got here or how to get out or who put you here or why you're there. Like just not finding mm-hmm. that stuff out. And and the problem is it makes it 
somehow a bit of a dull watch, <laughs> which yeah. is a shame. Um, yeah. uh, I was going to mention uh, vivarium. Uh, the word itself uh, refers to something like a terrarium, or you know, like a when you create a, a plant inside of a bottle, that sort of. Thing, right. like an enclosed thing for raising life which actually right. made me think this of, of a remind me of like oh the aliens they're being watched and raised by aliens mm-hmm. um <laughs> there, there's a couple things technically i want to i want to praise before i move on from this because i can tell our, our, our episode <laughs> is waning our review is waning thin um i do like a lot of the effects work and lighting in this uh, on the one hand while a lot of it looked goofy and was cgi um you know they burn the house down and you can see like the smoke in, in the yard, like, covers everything in this, like, haze, which is real creepy. Um, this kind of TV effect they've got. Uh, this weird ink blot thing is cool. And, and the way it paces tone with things that are creepy. You'll get used to something being normal and the kid will let out this, like, horrifying scream or something that comes out of nowhere. It really sets you off. That stuff's cool. And lastly, um, because I, I don't know why I noticed this, but I did... Uh, in that scene when Jesse Jesse Eisenberg's character Tom discovers that something is wrong with the front lawn and he can start digging a hole in it, when he throws a cigarette and the cigarette lands on the grass and the grass all moves out of the way, for some reason that like th- that two second shot of the cigarette landing on the grass and the grass moving is stop motion, and I don't know why. I don't know if they had a friend <laughs> that like runs a stop motion. It's the only one I think in the film, unless there's another one. That one shot is stop motion. I don't know. I don't know. Like, is that that kind of stuff grabs me? That's the kind of stuff that will grab me in my seat and go, "Hold on, what was that? What did I just see?" And and this movie does a pretty good job of doing that, but it doesn't do it well enough to be any kind of mainstay feature. It's why we didn't see it in in the in, in theaters. Um, it's why you're going to end up watching this on something like Amazon Prime. Um, ultimately, it is the lesser of of what it should be. It doesn't quite reach the the what it aspires to be. But Vivarium is, you know. It's an indie film from Ireland. Why not? So, so Andy, are you ready for recommendations? I bet you are. I'm ready. <laughs> Andy, would you recommend Vivarium? Um, absolutely not. Hard no. <laughs> Whoa, hard. The whoa. hardest. The all hardest. Right. Yeah. Hard. Hard, hard no. pass. Okay. Um, I didn't really enjoy this at all. Um, it's it's super weird. It's very surreal, and, and that's usually the two things that that I really enjoy in, in film. And hang on, my headphones are slipping. <laughs> uh but i i just could not get into this uh it's it's only it's only 100 minutes it felt very long um it, it was hard to get into i was on my phone for for part of it yeah i don't really know what it's trying to say i i do think that these filmmakers do have potential though i i think there's some interesting ideas that I would like to see develop further in a, in another film in a better film. Um, so I'd like to see what they come up uh, with next. But this one, like I said at the beginning, I don't know who who I would ever recommend this to. Yeah, I, I'm the opposite of your my American pickle review. I'm gonna say soft yes. <laughs> right. I love that we have hard and soft yeses and nos now. Yeah. We can't just like <laughs> it's fine. Um, man, th- yeah. Th- like I said, th- this movie does not quite reach the highs of its counterparts. If you're looking for something like real kooky and surrealist to watch, I tell you to go watch something like the lighthouse, which is also an Amazon prime or like any Charlie Kaufman film. If you're looking for something really weird, it's, it's good, but it's not great. And, and it's just kind of stuck there. If you dig this stuff, uh, if you, if you really like the surrealist stuff or you've listened to this, if, if, if you're like me, if you listen to this review and thought, man, that sounds neat. I want to find out more. Go check it out. You'll, you'll probably be into it. But you might be bored. 
just watch out because it is a movie about the horrors of boredom. So you've been warned. You know what I mean? Uh, and and it's okay. It's not great. It's it's okay. So that's that's my official recommendation on Vivarium. Uh, and that's our show, I guess. Um, God, we've been off for a couple of weeks, and now we're back, and now we're here, and now the show's done, and we're moving on. Andy, what are we watching next week? Uh, we got a couple of things coming up. So Project Power, uh, which is a new Netflix action superhero thing. That's the film with uh, starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Jamie Foxx. Um, they're crime fighters, and they're fighting bad guys. that uh, They can take this pill, and they have superpowers for five minutes, but they don't know what those superpowers are going to be. It's just kind of... Uh, dealer's choice um, and that comes to Netflix this fr- uh, Friday that looks like a lot of fun and then we're also going to be taking a look at uh, the peanut butter falcon which was a drama starring Dakota Johnson and Shia LaBeouf about a, uh, a person who escapes a uh, kind of a home to pursue his degree his not degree pursue his, pursue his career as a wrestler um, which I, I've heard really good things about it looks like a, a really sweet uh, drama and that's going to be on Hulu Yes, uh, so Project Power on Netflix and Peanut Butter Falcon on Hulu. I'm excited to watch both of these. Um, I wish I could say I'm more excited to watch Project Power. It looks okay, right? Like I, it's, it's, I'm it's getting Netflix. big bright vibes. Yeah, which means it, it Netflix will be action. Mediocre, you know what to expect, right? But you know, I'll give it a shot. What the hell? I think people will be talking about it at least. Which means if you want to hear what we think about it, if you don't have the time to watch a two-hour film, come check out Off Script episode 112 next week on Tuesdays when we stream on Facebook every day. Every every Tuesday, like five-ish, like five-ish, like four thirty-five-ish. That's where we're at. <laughs> Depending on how long it takes me, Zach, to get like the notes and everything together, but. But uh, if you enjoyed watching the show, you can check out our website, Offscript Film Review. You can email us correspondence, mail at offscriptfilmreview.com and tell us what you thought. You can also comment on the show on Facebook, on YouTube. I think we're on Instagram. We do a little Twitter every now and again, too. So you can hit us at any of those social media places. But if there's anything you want to do to help the show, you can just uh, subscribe. Just subscribe to the show. It's free, costs nothing, could support us, and we can support you with our movie knowledge every single Tuesday, unless we take two weeks off, like we just did. But we won't, because we just got back from vacation. Anyway, uh, thanks for watching, I think. That covers everything. And next week, Power and Peanut Butter Falcon. It'll be a good time. Anything else, Andy? I think that's... I think we're ready. That's an outro. Great. Uh, From all of us at Hofscript, I'm out of practice. I'm sorry. The home of Bold Cinema. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.